throws it, can't run it down, saves it to Lowry. Love to right, jams it down. Timeout, Scott Brooks. The birthday boy, Dwayne Casey, clapping his hands. Dutter dribble, goes to the hoop, blocked. Serge Ibaka comes over and wipes it out. It's a victory at the ACC for the Raptors. They defeat the Wizards to take a 2-0 lead in the series. The final, 130-119. to Welcome to the very first playoff edition of Jurassic Pod. Gareth Wheeler, Josh Leuenberg with you. This is the definitive TSN Raptors and NBA basketball podcast at Wheeler TSN at JLU 1050. I'm excited about this. It's like we need to step up our game, Josh. Not as if the rest of the the podcast were bad or anything like that. It's playoff time, buddy. Game face is on. I'm approaching this podcast like it's a game seven. (laughs) <laughs> Just like Kyle Lowry would. <laughs> so we can go out of here with our chest puffed out, thinking that we've accomplished something, but really overall we've done nothing. We're going to evaluate games one and two like they're both game sevens. Perfect. Okay, let's do that. So we're going to spin you through the Raptors' first two games of this first round playoff series against the Washington Wizards. We'll start big picture, go small picture, look at some of the individual performances and decisions that have been made and spin you around the rest of the NBA playoff picture. Just as we wanted scripted, Josh, 2-0. and oh. Two zilch, two nada. The Raptors, for the first time in the history of the franchise, have won their first two games of a playoff series. Round of applause. The sky isn't falling. I mean, the sky was literally falling the other day as shards (laughs) of ice were coming down from the CN Tower. But at least, (laughs) metaphorically speaking, the sky is not falling in terms of the Toronto Raptors, and it's a little bit bizarre. We're sort of like, it's just our, our nature now to look for things to panic about. Uh, I'm relatively stress-free at the moment, and I didn't think that would be the case well, after two games. I, I don't know if, if if we look for things to panic about. It's just whatever the Raptors have done over the course of the history of the franchise, nothing has come easy. Like, they'll always do things the hard way. And, and even Tuesday night's win didn't come easy in the sense that you're you're seeing a blowout unfold through most of the first half. The Raptors are just uh, putting on an offensive clinic. And then all of a sudden, the Wizards come back. It's a five-point five point game, game with eight minutes left. Yep. And you're thinking, oh, well, here we go again. To, I mean, to a degree. I think there was a little bit less nervous energy in that building than there was in game one when everyone was sitting on pins and needles, but uh, yeah, I mean, you you do get the sense that this is a different Raptors team, just in the way that they deal with situations that would have sunk them before. And the way they play. Like, offensively in past playoff series, it's been a struggle to get easy looks, to put up points on a regular basis. That free-flowing offense with players hitting three-point shots from just about everywhere, seven, eight players capable of doing so, and the players feeding off one another. This is a completely different... It, 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 it might turn out that, that things won't come easy, but offensively, just a completely different look from this outfit. Oh, it's we undeniable. J- we just had a conference call with Dwayne Casey and my, my guy, Cahal Kelly uh, of The Globe. Um, my guy, too, by the way. We okay, our, our guy, friend of the podcast. <laughs> he asked a great question. He, he, Of course, the Raptors have embraced the underdog... 
mentality for for so long, and that's something that Casey loves pu- putting up that bulletin board material. You're being disrespected, counted out. Right. He believes they're at their best when they are in that mindset. There's TSN promos all about that. Now, <laughs> now they're not. I mean, it would be pretty tough to go into that room and say you guys are the underdogs as the first seed in the East and a team that's up 2-0 in their series. So Cajal asked, how are your guys taking to being the favorite? And the the term that Casey brought up was mental toughness, that maybe they wouldn't have had that mental toughness to be the favorite a few years ago, but they've grown into it. It's something that's become part of their DNA as they've grown and matured as players. And I think it's that mental toughness, obviously if we're talking big picture, that's how they're now approaching being the favorite. But even in terms of the game-to-game, when I talk about the Wizards fighting back and cutting the deficit to five points... It's that mental toughness in that situation that allows them to punch right back. Okay, I, I want to spin you back to Saturday. And the Wizards had a fourth quarter lead. It was 91-88. I feel like the Wizards blew what could have been a potential opportunity to plant those seeds of doubts in Raptors' minds. Blowing a fourth quarter lead on the road against the team that... You don't know what's going to happen if you go out and beat them in game number one and all that's being built up around that. For me, that was the TSN turning point. The fact that the Wizards couldn't finish the job. The Raptors stepped up with Baby Nagara on the court and won game one. And that kind of bled into game number two for me. Because if the Wizards, Josh, they take game one, we're having a very different conversation today. It might be 1-1, might be 2 nothing Wizards, but now that you win two games in a row, it's like that weight has been lifted to a certain degree. So I look at the Wizards and say, man, oh man, you had a chance and you blew it. Well, listen, the Raptors have been really good. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. The Raptors have been really good in this series, to their credit. Yes. But the Wizards have been bad. And it's funny because we previewed this series last week, and I said this was the nightmare scenario in that this was the team that you didn't want to play. And it's not because... What what made and what still makes the Wizards a tricky matchup is not that you know they're going to be great, not that, not even close. What made them tricky is that their ceiling was so uncommonly high for an eight seed in that when they're at their best, they're a really good team. But what we've seen for the most part through two games is their floor, how bad they can be when they're at their worst. Even in Game 2, as good as I thought the Raptors were, especially in that first half, the Wizards had a real shot if Bradley Beal was just average. Right. Just, But he might as well have been wearing a white jersey. Like, he was... <laughs> He was next level and you, and, bad. And you wouldn't expect that. No. You wouldn't bank on he, because he's a very good player. Well, the narrative and the storyline going into the playoffs, like it has been the last few postseasons, is Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan, the Raptors' two guards, are not playoff performers. But to this point, I mean, you can point out Lowry's shooting numbers being what they are. His shot isn't falling right now, but he's done just about everything else as well right. or better than you could have possibly expected. DeMar DeRozan has been awesome 
even in game one when the the scoring numbers weren't there, I loved his methodical approach to reading the defense, being patient, not forcing anything, and then ultimately getting teammates involved. And then game two, as he sort of read that, okay, the, the, the Wizards are still pressuring DeRozan and Lowry, but all of a sudden they were more conscious of the other guys. And that's all DeRozan needed, just that sliver of space well, to take advantage. Those guys have been great, and Wall has had his moments, but hasn't been consistently great for Washington. And Bradley Beal has been everything that a lot of people have said Lowry and DeRozan are in the playoffs for years. He's really sure. let them down. Um, I want to get back to DeRozan in a minute, but I just want to go back to that point that the worst thing that the Wizards could have done, and it's bad news for everyone in the Eastern Conference, is give the Raptors that confidence. Yeah. Where they can actually say out loud, we have mental toughness. Because if they lost game number one, I don't know, I don't know what would have happened, Josh. And it wasn't as if the Raptors... Offensively, the Raptors were playing fine for me in game number one. Defensively, a little bit of a mess. But Until they the fourth on, quarter. They put on the clamps in the fourth quarter. That's what they do. And, and let's think about how they did that. Because that fourth quarter could go down as the defining moment of the series and this playoff run. Depending on what happens, obviously, if extraordinary things happen, then whatever. But they did it with DeMar DeRozan on the bench, largely with the, in the fourth quarter, yep. with Bayman Nagara, Serge Ibaka, C.J. Miles, DeLon Wright, and Kyle Lowry on the floor. DeLon Wright and Kyle Lowry played I, all 12 minutes of the fourth quarter. While in both games, actually, Lowry started off on Wall and OG started off on Beal. And then in both games to begin the third quarter, Dwayne Casey has flipped that. I love that move, by the way. Then in the fourth quarter of game one, yep. you had DeLon on Wall and Lowry on Beal. Lowry's done a, a, a. I was talking about how great Lowry's been in basically every aspect, but shooting it's a better matchup in the series. Defensively, on Beal. defensively, he's been fantastic yep. in this series. And even going back to the regular season, I mean, OG really struggled earlier this season in the, in the regular season uh, series matchups it, against. Beal. Uh, Norman Powell had some success, but the the Raptor player, the Raptor defender that had the most success against Beal during the season was actually Lowry. So credit Casey here. He's had Lowry on Beal, I would say, for the bulk of the two games, mm -hmm. but he's also mixed up the coverage and changed up the looks, and I think that's important. Dwayne Casey through two, two games. I know he's, he did some funky things with the lineup to begin the fourth quarter of game four, which was sort of playing with fire a little bit, but Dwayne Casey has coached a hell of a series so far. Yeah, making appropriate adjustments at the appropriate time. I'll, I'll get off game number one. I just thought it was important to bring that up because things can always play out so different. I Some series you look at each game in isolation of the next one, that one, just based on the context, the Raptors never winning a game number one and all the talk, I think that that could have bled over into game number two. But it didn't, well, it did in a positive way because the Raptors finished that game 26 15. I don't know about you. It, like a lot of it came after that Mike Scott flagrant foul, which in back in the NBA 15 years ago would have just been a common foul. I don't love that call, but the Raptors sure benefited and then went on to take the lead and didn't look back. And that start in game number two was exactly what they needed to back up a great finish from game number one and come out 
guns ablaze. 76 first half points by this Toronto Raptors team. Like, we saw glimpses of that over the season where they ran teams out of the gym. But to that to go down in playoff basketball, that says something about this group and how dangerous they actually are. Well, think about it. In, in more games than not this year, the narrative was the Raptors are a slow-starting team and the Raptors bench, bench yes. bails them out. That's been the narrative through most of the season. And while... Having the depth that the Raptors do is going to continue to pay dividends. I thought it really did in Game 1. This is the time of year, as we know, and we said was always going to be the case where the starters, especially the stars, have to step up and be better. And we sort of, there, there was, it was a cautious optimism, right, throughout the season where we're like, okay, well, these are veteran guys, they're picking their spots and easing their way through the season. And then once the playoffs start, that's when they're going to go to work. The they're going to be ready. They hit the switch. They're preserving themselves. So we knew that Lowry... Well, the one thing that you knew, Josh, is the group had much more balance. It was just them all performing at a high level at the same time. Right? Like, this is the most balanced starting five that we've seen. A stretch four that can shoot the three, block some shots, play some defense. A guy playing the three position who his role is defined, three and D. Uh, that kind of allows Lowry and DeRozan to do their business, and a center that's emerged before our eyes and added a three-point shot to his arsenal. You know what I mean? Like, this is the most balanced starting five we've seen for the Raptors. And we talk about how sort of strange the feeling is of being up 2-0 as a Raptors reporter, a Raptors fan, or even for the Raptors. But how strange is it at this time of the year to not have a starting lineup controversy, right? right? I can't remember. I can't remember. I can't remember the last time. Put PJ Tucker in. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember the last time in the playoffs where the Raptors haven't tinkered with their starting lineup. Last year, it was putting Norman Powell in in the game four against Milwaukee. Uh, Of course, that changed things, pulling Jonas Valanciunas. Out of the starting lineup, I mean, even a couple of years ago when, when JV was hurt and had to come out of the, there's always been change. There's always been, it's sort of been a revolving door in the playoffs. Patrick Patterson, does he start at the four? You've got a starting five here that you can feel good about, that you're comfortable with, that's performing at a high level right now, and it's all five of those guys. And they look comfortable playing with one another. Yeah. Um, Kyle Lowry, and you've alluded to this in radio interviews, I, I've read your work, Josh. His numbers, if you just look at them, they don't blow you away, but he's done the little things right. We'll leave Kyle Lowry for now, because we're that's both complimentary. How, that's how you know who's actually watching these games and who's not. Right. For, for all the people that have their takes of, oh, here we go again, Lowry. They're not watching the games, they're watching the or box they might scores. not understand the game, which is, which is fine. But I think the case study of DeMar DeRozan is a fascinating one through two games, because he wasn't anywhere near aggressive enough in the first half of Game 1. In game two in the third quarter was outstanding, then sat on the bench for seven minutes, and there was a legit argument that could be made that the team was playing better with C.J. Miles that they could just leave him in. But DeMar's a finisher, you had to bring him on. But the mentality and how he played more aggressively in game number two, that's the DeMar DeRozan when push comes to shove that you see. Maybe not a guy, and, and Lowry and DeRozan were joking around about this in the post-game press conference because DeRozan would say, well, I don't need to go out and score 30 points. And Lowry was like, well, you did. It was, it was and he's a like, you're, you're missing the point, Kyle. And I get the point that DeMar DeRozan was making, that he can be a little bit more, faci- well, well, more listen, facilitated listen. to pick a spot, but I like a more aggressive DeMar DeRozan. I'm, well, I'm going to make the same point, and I have some numbers for you. So, game one. 
Saturday, as you mentioned, huge game. Players, including Lowry, calling it a must-win. The Raptors, of course, do win. DeMar DeRozan has 17 points. The January win over Cleveland by 34 points. Huge statement win on national TV. DeMar DeRozan has 13 points. Uh, But a month later, 20-point win over Boston. DeMar DeRozan has 15 points. Two weeks ago, in the win over Boston that essentially clinches first place, Raptors win by 18. DeMar DeRozan has 16 but points. Some of those, so were, these some are, of those games were laughers, so, though, where he didn't even play in the fourth quarter. This is true. So context, of course. But the Raptors are now in a place they, where they, they never have been before where they can win big, important games without DeRozan having big scoring nights. Well, I... That, I don't think in the biggest games that will be the case. No, no, no. no. I'm not saying they have to win those games by DeRozan not having big nights. I'm saying they can. And that's a look that the Raptors have never had, right? Because it used to be that DeRozan sure. had to score third. Or at least, this is the difference for me. DeRozan used to feel like he had to score 30 points in order for them to win. He doesn't anymore. And that's the can difference. Because it's that, allowed. Josh? he's evolved, to me, from a scorer... To a game manager, and that's what I think stars need to be in order to reach the next level. That, that's fair, and and I, I kind of want to build on what you had to say there. It's about how he's getting his points, because before he would force the issue to get them. Yeah. Now the fact that you start that that game number two against Washington, and whether it's Ananobi, a buck, other guys are hitting their shots. They've opened up the floor. For DeMar DeRozan, and they're making his life so much easier. The fact that you have scoring from elsewhere, but it's a give and take, right? Like it's, a, it's, it's a chi- it's a chicken and the egg scenario there because yes, those guys have taken pressure off by hitting the shots, but those guys aren't getting the looks they're getting if not for DeRozan 100%. buying into the system and bracing the defensive attention I, I, he I'm, gets. I'm not, to I'm not even trying to suggest that that's not the case. No, no, I'm wa- just saying like it, it, what's so impressive about this Raptors team in general is how connected both of those sure, things are. But they have to hit their shots. Right. Like if if, if Valanciunas doesn't extend and clear out the lane, if Abak is not hitting his three point shot, then you can focus more. And Scott Brooks, the Wizards coach, alluded to this. You got to pick your poison now. Like you just can't throw two and three guys at the Rosen and have him give away the ball and bank on the player X, Y, or Z missing their jump shot. You can't do that anymore. So. It's just I, I think we're both making the same point in a different way. Basically, it's about fluidity and these and, and the players playing well together, and the fact that when the Raptors other players are hitting their shots, it's better news for Demar Derozan, and when Demar is being effective and distributing the way he is, that's better news for them as well. It's amazing how far this team has come in a year, simply in terms of like mindset, right? Because it was about a year ago where Lowry was slumping in his chair, looked terrible in the the press conference after, I don't know if it was somewhere in the first round, we were asking him about his shooting slump, and he was saying, well, I guess I just have to force more shots. And the sentiment, let's face it, the sentiment from DeMar DeRozan was sort of the same, is that, like, listen, like, this team relies on me to score, I need to shoot more, I need to shoot more, and then you have Dwayne Casey sitting up there saying over and over again variations of, will ride or die with DeRozan and Lowry. And it's a different mentality now because neither of those guys, Lowry is is slumping in terms of the jump shot right now, but he's not talking about forcing shots or taking more shots. 
he's being patient and taking right. what the defense is giving to him. Same for DeRozan. And in terms of Casey's mindset, it's not necessarily ride or die with DeRozan, at least not offensively, because those guys know they've got support, they've got help. If they're going to win, it's not necessarily just because of Lowry and DeRozan. It's because of the collective. So far, so good for the Raptors. Up 2-0 in their series against the Washington Wizards. Game 3 goes Friday night in D.C. You can listen on TSN 1050 in Toronto. we got to talk Serge Ibaka and his outstanding play thus far through two games. And the bench and two individuals in particular who have played starring roles for this Raptors team. All that coming up. Wheeler and Lewenberg with you. This is Jurassic Pod. You know, these days, it's not like I got to have the mindset to go out there and, you know, I got to score 30, 40 points. Um, I go out there and play aggressive. 37. What you mean? I didn't go out there saying, let me score but, 30 tonight. But like, I'm saying, you got 37. Don't say it like But you. I'm saying, I didn't go out there but saying. But all I'm saying, I'm, you can't say that when you had 37. Listen what I'm trying to explain, That's though, what I'm bro. Saying. I understand what you're saying. But you no, you don't. Let me finish. I didn't even. Can I? Leave. Um, like I said, I didn't go out there planning to score 37 points. I went out there to be aggressive, and with my aggressiveness, came up 37 points. You know what? Wheeler Lundberg with you at Wheeler TSN at JLU1050. This is your Toronto Raptors podcast. We like to call it Jurassic Pod. Uh, before we go any further, there will be no Drake appearance on this podcast. I'm used to seeing him everywhere now that playoff basketball has come to Toronto. But but in all seriousness... I brushed up against him a little bit yesterday as I, we were walking by each other. It was like a tight hallway. And it was like, I, I thought to myself, this is kind of cool. But not because I thought it was cool. Because like I'm not a huge... Like, I, I don't dislike Drake. I'm just not a huge... I'm not... I'm not a huge fan of his music. I, I like some of his music, sure. but I wouldn't go out of my way to listen to it. So Drake, I know Drake more as the global ambassador than I do the the musician, just because I don't really... Gotcha. You know, but I thought to myself, this is cool because people I know might think this is cool. Right. Uh, shout out to Drake, though, wearing the Humboldt Broncos jersey. Yep. And the whole team signing it after the game on Saturday. I j He's a guy who just gets it. You know, you, you might like him, you might love him, you might dislike him. I mean, the guy, the guy gets it. But he gets it. And I absolutely respect that. So good on Drake. It was a, it was a good moment. And this country continues to rally around a grieving community. Uh, I think it was Landsberg on the morning show today asked Tom Sterner whether the players like Drake. I think they like Drake. They love Drake. Yeah. I'm, why wouldn't they? I know yeah. he's got this Kelly Oubre Jr. thing going on right now, where Oubre called him out back in the day. Yeah. Apparently, Oubre says they're still boys; they still roll together. Bebe <laughs> and uh, JV are on the same page uh, as I am. They don't. I know. I know they're not uh, they're really into his music, uh -huh. but the rest of them, yeah, they're all listening all right. to it pregame, and they. I mean, they love. They love Drake. I want trophies to be the anthem of this playoff run. I've already told our producer, Keith Bauer, to do it. Uh, great track, and it's all about the Larry O'Brien, buddy. So I think it's appropriate. Throwing it out there. If you're on Team Wheeler, hit me up. Let me know. Let's get this started, people. Um, the chances looking better and better with, of the Raptors making a run. If Serge Ibaka, Ibaka, Ibaka continues Don't to do make that. this. Don't do that. 
<laughs> I had to. Uh, the Sir, shot, Sir blocker, Chewbacca? A blocker, a blocker. <laughs> uh, look, in game number one, 8 of 11 from the field was really solid. Less numbers in game number two, but still a massive block when the game got the tightest. When it was that five-point game, it was an Ibaka block that was right in the middle of it all. The CJ Miles three, the Ibaka block, and then DeRozan comes down and he hits a shot as well. So whether it's defensively or offensively, this is a surge Ibaka that you pay $20 million a year for because if you get this guy, then look out. He takes this Raptors team to another level. Yeah, he, he's their X factor. And that's not to say they don't have other X factors, sure. obviously, like JV and a lot of the guys off the bench. Those are players that could potentially come up huge for the Raptors and to this point. Uh, a lot of them have, but outside of DeRozan and Lowry, I see the biggest variance in terms of possible outcome based on the Sergi Baca that we see. If Sergi Baca is performing as poorly as he did through stretches during the season, I- I'm not sure this Raptors team can be as good as we think they can and should be. If he's playing as he did through games one and two, and also various stretches throughout this season when he was... Uh, at his best, it takes them to another level. Because, as you mentioned, I think defensively, he should be their most important player. Defensively, he still doesn't block shots as he did with OKC, but he's still timely in terms of his rim protection. He's smart. You gotta know he's in there, too. Honestly. Yeah, absolutely. His, His presence there around the rim, his ability to switch, and then offensively, when he's knocking down his shots... He, when we talk about the other guys taking pressure off of Lowry and DeRozan, keeping the defense honest, he's, to me, like the, the head of those other guys. He needs to be the player of those guys right. that's, that's knocking down his shots. Uh, Valentinus, he had another double-double. Shout-out to him. Uh, by the way, I meant to mention on Ibaka, like, I cannot stand these two days off between games, but it's going to be called the Ibaka Clause. <laughs> and it, it, it helps him more than anyone. When it's helping Fred Van Vliet right, right. now, too. He mentioned yesterday, talked to him after the game. Of course, he, he returned briefly, played two minutes. two minutes, and then got pulled. It was sort of a collaborative between the coaching staff and the medical people that said, listen, he, he just doesn't look right. Fred even sort of reluctantly acknowledged that he didn't feel quite right. Uh, he wants to be out there, which is probably why he was out there. He fought his way like Lowry probably would have in that situation onto the court. Uh, but he's still not 100%. So he, he talked about taking these next two days now and, and however long that he needs to get back to the player that he needs to be is in order to help the them. Is, is it just the shoulder? What's well, going that's, on with that's, Fred? That's, I mean, that's what they're saying. Uh, and you got to take their word for it. Um, on Valanciunas, I just wanted to mention the double-double from JV tied Antonio Davis for the most double-doubles in franchise history in the postseason with 12. So good on him. Another number 12. I, it's a random number. There's been 12 Raptors who've scored 30 pl- or more points yep. in playoff games uh, in franchise history. Well, and, and, 20, and De- 24. Well, 24, because DeRozan has the other 12. Yeah. <laughs> Not bad. So, brought to you by the number 12. Uh, so, Ibaka was great. JV, great. But... Another guy that is the definitive, this is why you brought him here move, is C.J. Miles. That three-point shot, look, it was a five-point game in the, in the fourth quarter. You're right, just under eight minutes to go. And Miles with the shot in John Wall's eye. Just deep three. But it wasn't just that shot. Big make at a big moment. 
CJ's found his found his groove uh, coming here into the playoffs, and the Raptors haven't had a playoff like him in recent playoff runs. Just a guy, well, Lou Williams on a team that simply couldn't defend and was out of it, but he's a guy that can just flat out shoot. And when he's feeling it, he's feeling it, Josh. And he's feeling it at the right time. Timely, right? And it's it's sort of similar to what we talked about with Ibaka because Miles, like Serge, had an up-and-down first full season with the Raptors. Both of them first full seasons with the Raptors. Uh, highs, lows, uh, but both of them sort of said... For us, veteran players, guys, it's not it's not their first rodeo. They've been through this before. They both knew when they needed to be ready for. Uh, they both said that they would be ready for the playoffs. And while it's still early, they've both been at or close to their best when the team sure. needs them most. Think, think about what we're saying here. That Ibaka and Miles had up and down regular seasons on a 59-win team. Yeah, not you bad. Know, that's where you can get away with it when guys like Siakam or Van Vliet or whoever can step up when those players are going through times where they struggle. Well, right now, Fred's the perfect example of it. Fred has been one of the most important and valuable players on this team. And right, right now, to his own admission and frustration, he can't help them as much as he would like and they would like him to. But at the same time, you've got DeLon Wright, well, that's who we'll segue to, to yeah, yeah, who's uh, perfectly capable of stepping in and stepping up. And all of a sudden, while, yeah, I mean, the team misses Fred because of how important he is, but they haven't actually missed him in the sense that they're not really, there hasn't been a massive drop-off. Well, I and think that they does, miss and that, him. And that, I, the, I, well, that's what I'm saying. They miss him, but at the same time... Like it's it's not sinking them because they've That's got way to put it. because yes. they've got the depth to be able to withstand these things. Like look, like Norman Powell just this season's gonna be a write off for Norm. You hope he comes back a different player next year. I think that that rotation has to be nine guys tight until Fred is ready to step in and play like Fred Van Vliet. Can't be Powell, can't be Lorenzo Brown, and I love Lorenzo Brown. It's just right now you gotta roll with your top guys. And DeLon Wright is painted over those cracks. Is it is there a better matchup for DeLon Wright than the Washington Wizards? All of these point guards and off guards with length that DeLon Wright matches up very well against. And now DeLon taking it out the team. He's being aggressive offensively. His length defensively is a complete asset. And he's hitting a random three-point shot as well. So this has been almost best-case scenario for DeLon Wright in terms of matchup and performance. Another reason why depth is a good thing, right? Because you've got different guys that sort of make more sense in different, different matchups. player. So, for example... Pascal Siakam has not been great through two games. I just don't think this is a great matchup for him because defensively there isn't really a guy on Washington that you can look at and say, okay, well, we need uh, Siakam and his skill set to go and lock this guy down. And offensively, of course, maybe it's Mike Scott. The Wizards, (laughs) maybe, but he's not like, I mean, it's not like what he'll face presumably in round two if Cleveland gets the job done. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> this time I get. This time I get it. I still don't think it's funny, but oh, I get it. Okay. Uh, which is a step. Which is already progress because I, I didn't tried. even. I didn't even understand the joke last week. I'm a week. volume hitter. Okay, go. If you see Cleveland in round two, you'll need Siakam. Uh, I, I'm not sure you need him as much in, in round one, but Delon, and I'm not sure Delon 
has a great matchup in round two. If you face Cleveland, who does he defend? But in round one, defensively, he's crucial. He's been crucial. And even offensively, I mean, right now, when DeLon is at his best, what makes him so unique is how he dictates tempo. He plays at his own pace. He rarely forces anything. And it's just like he's he's so methodical for a player as young as he is. And now that the shot is coming along, and he's shooting with as much confidence as he is. Like, the, the, the Wizards keep saying we're, we're comfortable letting DeLon have those shots, letting DeLon beat us, and he's beating them. Last one on the specific gameplay in this series. Uh, the Raptors have had one problem in this series, and that's containing John Wall. He had a double-double in the first half of Game 1, slowed down in Game 2, 29 points, and had a huge three third quarter, giving the Wizards... Let's just be honest, a glimmer of hope. Nothing more than that. But it was John Wall that brought the Wizards back into the game. What do they need to do different against John Wall in Game 3 and 4 in Washington? Because it seems like, in, you know, Beal will probably step up his game. He'll play better. Not sure about their depth on their team. I just don't see it being there. But you got to limit John Wall a little bit more, don't you? Well, in terms of the coverage, like I, I think we need to see as much DeLon as possible because the the sort of common denominator there, you mentioned Wall slowing down in the second half of Game 1. That's when DeLon saw the most time on him. Good call. And even in Game 2, as he went on his run in the second half, I thought DeLon was a big part of... of the reason why the Raptors were able to put a stop to it and cool him down towards the end of the fourth quarter when the Raptors put things away. Of course, he had that big block on Wall. So I think DeLon, of all those matchups, is probably the guy that makes most sense for Wall. I I like the idea of throwing OG at him sporadically throughout the game just to give him a different look, throw him a a guy that has more size and length, physicality. Uh, But... Obviously, big picture, what you want to do is is give him space and, and dare him to be a jump shooter and beat you with the mid-range three. Mid-range jump he, shot. Yeah. Uh, honestly, I'll, I will take him making mid-range jump shots and forcing him to do that rather than shooting the three ball. I know he's not a great three-point shooter and taking the ball to the hoop. Yeah. You just want to limit him to the mid-range game. The second you, get, you let him break down your defense and, and get into the lane... He's that you're good. you're in trouble because because then either he's getting to the basket and making right. plays for himself or he's making plays I, for other guys. I'm personally a fan of John Wall. It's just the dysfunction around the team. I don't know how much that is him, the coach, the other players, or the reported dysfunction. I should say, but he can play for me any day of the week. I I well let me put it this way: a healthy John Wall can play for me, and that's been the biggest question mark about it. And he looks healthy right now. Uh, We'll spin you around the rest of the NBA playoff picture. That's coming up next. This is Jurassic Pod. Leading by 12, Horford lead for Rozier. Open corner, three, got it. Ooh, boy, that hurt. That's like like somebody stepped on somebody's mama's toe. Holiday between the rings. Jump pass to his left. Moore dumps the corner left. Rondo wide open three. Pow! Right in the kisser. And the Pelicans may have just knocked down the dagger. 
This is our first ever playoff edition of Jurassic Pod. Hope you're enjoying it. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your colleagues, tell your enemies as well. Why not? Subscribe to us on iTunes, like, spread the news, use your social resources to help a couple brothers out. Gareth Wheeler, Josh Lewenberg with you at WheelerTSN at JLU1050. Um, I was down at BMO Field for game number two. I actually watched the entire game back after I got home last night. It was a late one for me. But what the heck happened with the beer being spilt on the floor? That one is a waste of beer. Two, I'm actually kind of surprised it doesn't happen more often. That was a big puddle, buddy. I'm not sure what was a bigger puddle, that or the leak in the roof ahead of game number one. Well, uh, according to my sources here... Was it Shanny? The wi- Shanny it, it, was, it was Jason Kidd, the Wizards. <laughs> the Wizards, <laughs> who call. were in big trouble at the time. The Raptors were on their run. <laughs> they wanted to just... It was like icing the kicker. They wanted to just stop the game and maybe see if the Raptors would cool down. So they had Jason Kidd on the sideline who just... Right. Yeah. This is where we need some beer sponsors for this podcast. This is where it comes into play. Unlimited shout-outs when there's spilt beer because there's always more to get from this location. See, there's a, there's a great tie-in right there, There Josh. you go. Hit us up, beer companies. Hit us up at Wheeler TSN at JLU1050. You know where we live, kind of. Well, live and work. It's basically the same thing in this industry. Uh, NBA playoffs are up and running. Josh Lubberg has the early advantage on your boy, Gareth Wheeler. If you missed it, we made a bet. Uh, I bet weeks ago that whoever the Celtics play in 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 round number one that they lose. Well, I mean my words thus far is the Celtics up to love in that series of the Milwaukee Bucks. What's with Eric Bledsoe chirping terrible Terry Rozier saying I don't even know who the guy is? Really, you're down two nothing, dude. Might want to zip it a little bit. And Rozier's been great. Like, what 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 does he think that he's proving with the comment like that? I don't know. How good's Jalen Brown though? Oh, listen, and this is why this playoff run is really important for the Raptors, because the Sixers are getting better. The Celtics with this young core, add Kyrie, add in Haywood, add, add uh, Hayward, add a whatever draft picks they got coming in. Whoo! That Celtics team is made to be good for the foreseeable. Yeah, I don't know if they'll win this series, Josh. I'm going to say that. going back. Oh, to they're going to win. Great. Great one, game one was great. They're going to win. This Celtics team has some intriguing talent. And that side, I don't want to say that that side of the bracket is bad or easy necessarily, but if nothing else, it's wide open. So you really have no idea what's going to happen because I like I, I have Miami over, and this is something that we you talked did. about, I picked on the podcast last week. I have Miami over... Philly in seven games. I can confirm that. I didn't feel good about that prediction after game one, I'll tell you that, because Philly handed it to them. But game two was a lot more like what I expected, a physical and mentally tough and experienced Miami Heat team just kicking the crap out of a young Philadelphia 76ers team. And I don't think we'll see that necessarily every game, but I think it's going to be a learning experience a learning curve for Philadelphia and I think this series is going to go the distance I don't know what's going to happen there and even in terms of Boston and Milwaukee I'm like I mean I I don't I, I think Milwaukee's not very good and I think Boston while probably less talented at least on paper than Milwaukee Milwaukee certainly has the best player uh, in that series yeah and Middleton's a good player Bledsoe should Bledsoe's letting the team down to be honest with you they should be better than they are against the depleted Celtics team. I'll just I'll leave it at that. Whether it's coaching, you know, there, there's going to be a coaching vacancy there. 
Uh, best wishes to Jerry Stackhouse interview in New York. He'd look good in Memphis. He'd look good in Charlotte. He'd look good in Oh, Orlando. he's getting in, he's getting interviews everywhere. Yeah, but uh, I mean, there's there's going to be some jobs to be had in Milwaukee's a place as well. Because uh, that team, like, based on the players they have and Giannis being kind of the best player in the majority of series that he's going to play that's, in, that's the needs jo- to be better. That's the job you want, right? Because, I mean, that's not necessarily the place you want to be in terms of location, but... That's the job that right. you want. That's an opportunity. Coaches, I mean, obviously, there's so there's only 30 jobs in the NBA. If you can get one of them, good on you. Good on you. But coaches always, you love the opportunity that allows you to go in somewhere and have a chance to win. Have a chance yes. to win, or at least have room. To grow, you don't want to. Charlotte's intriguing. Charlotte could be intriguing. Not really, because if anything, they're not like you've got Orlando that's in the rebuilding process. I think almost worse than that is a team like Charlotte that's before that. No, they're they're like before the rebuilding process. They're they're like Kemba's on his way out. I would imagine. Um, Well, what about the Knicks? Because you have. Porzingis and Cantor. I, I, you got to deal with Dolan. I know, but it's still New New York for me would be number one on the list just because it's not Milwaukee. Like, ugh. I, 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 th- I think saying, you want that Milwaukee for the same Milwaukee. reason that like Tibbs. Tibbs was like sitting around, sitting on his hands, waiting. He he's such a good coach and has such a good reputation that he could afford to turn some jobs down and to wait for the perfect opportunity. Mm-hmm. Minnesota is not necessarily the perfect place you want to be, but in terms of the situation, that's sort of what I'm talking about with Milwaukee, where it's like, all right, you got a young superstar in the case of Milwaukee, a couple or Minnesota, a couple of really intriguing young players. Here's a situation where I can go to and immediately turn things around. Round. Right. Uh, I don't want to get too much into the Cavaliers Pacers. That game's on ESPN Radio tonight. Uh, it's game number two Wednesday. If you're listening to this on Thursday, like you don't want us to seem stupid or or be talking about something that's already happened. But baseball in game number one, it's just that's the worst case scenario for Cleveland. The fact that defensively they continually get exposed and the three point shots not dropping. That's their kryptonite right there. And it was That's the it. it was the best case scenario for the Raptors, not necessarily because I think the Cavs are going to lose now. I mean, I predicted the sweep, so obviously I'm wrong in that regard. I still think Cleveland is going to win that series, but if you're the Raptors, if nothing else, you just want that to be a long, hard-fought series. Yes. The Raptors have played Cleveland in the row, played Cleveland in the playoffs two years in a row. They've lost to Cleveland in the playoffs two years in a row. In both cases, the Cavs were sitting around waiting for them. Uh, in one, in one, situ- in one instance, they were off in Miami vacationing and partying before the series even began. You want them to work hard. They want you want them to work for this. I yep. get you. you. Want more specifically, you want LeBron James to be forced to work and play as having he had a triple double. They still got crushed. So. You would love to see Indiana in round two, but even if that doesn't happen, you do not want to see a rested Cavs team. Yep. So if you're the Raptors, you take care of business. You do it as fast as possible. And you hope that that series, Indiana-Cleveland, goes as long as possible. Uh, There's multiple games Wednesday night and Thursday. I wanted to touch on one other series really quickly because it's not a sexy one. But I got caught up in it before I turned on the Raptors game when I got home last night. Trailblazers-Pelicans. 
I, I, I was wrong there too. I and Eagle calling basketball games, by the way, is so good. Like football, basketball, just he brings you in and you can feel the excitement. But the Pelicans are up, up two nothing in that series. This is the team that lost Boogie Cousins and has zero depth. I'm pretty sure you and I can come off that team's bench. They are built, and they're win- they won two games away from home, the exact opposite way of the Raptors. They play Rondo, Holiday, the Brown, Davis, uh, Etwan Moore, and I'm missing one other guy, one other starter. Forgive me, I'm just blanking out. They play these guys all over 30 minutes of ball game, well over 30 minutes of ball game. Well, it looks good right now. I'm just like, how can this be sustainable? Playing basically five guys that much, it seems absolutely crazy to me. But full credit to them because they're winning ball games without an all star. Well, they've got a they've got a superstar in Anthony Davis, and man, he is he's incredible. Um, and what he's done since Boogie went down, he's not going to win MVP. That's a James Harden lock at this point, but he deserves strong consideration. Uh, outside of for for the second slot, third slot in that race, just based on what he's done for that team, right? Uh, but I, I mean, I give them a lot of credit as an organization because I liken them at one point to Detroit, a, a mediocre team that was just so desperate to make the playoffs, and obviously New Orleans, they've got reason to be desperate to make the playoffs. They're trying to appease Davis. They're trying to keep right. Boogie, and I, I mean, there are guys in the front office and in the coaching staff. Uh, with, with Gentry, they're they're trying to keep their job, so they've sort of gone all in for what I thought was a first round exit. Which is, I mean, I that's a, a bad way, a short sighted way to manage your franchise. And I, I thought one of the reasons why Brian Colangelo had a, a tough time towards the end of his stint here with the Rudy Gay trade and doing everything he could basically to maximize the Raptors' limited ceiling, uh, but that Nico Miritich deal. Well, was uh, he was the he was the fifth guy? Your boy wheels. You know he's my boy. I told Josh and our buddy Dwayne Watson on Raptors broadcast that I wanted Miritich as a Toronto Raptor. I was steadfast on that. I thought he'd be a perfect player. He played 38 minutes. Like okay, Miritich 38, Davis 40, Holiday 40, Rondo 38. Like they're they're three most used bench players, and they don't play that much. Ian Clark, Solomon Hill, Darius Miller. If any of them were walking down the street, I wouldn't recognize them. That just shows you how much they rely on their starters. Yeah, I don't know how long this could last, but good on them. It's a good look. We'll see. I also but think it's. A, I also think it's a good matchup. I mean, I picked Portland to win that series. I think in six, but it was sort of reluctantly because I'm not sold on Portland either. I just didn't think right. much of New Orleans, but. Give the Pelicans credit, and the Blazers, like, man, I I don't know. And that's why the the Raptors' backcourt is looking pretty darn good. We always have the conversation yes. of who's the best backcourt in the NBA. Certainly Wall and Beal generally seem to think that it's them. They're not looking like it. The Blazers, in terms of what they've accomplished, not just this year, but over the years in the playoffs, they don't, and Steph they don't, they don't have... And, does Clay count? Like, that's no, absolutely. It. And, 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 and they're always, yeah, they're always the gold standard. But outside of Clay and Steph, and I felt this way for a while, DeRozan and Lowry, have uh, they're the second best backcourt in the NBA. Right. Harden and whoever. <laughs> Harden and Paul, yeah. yeah. I mean, Harden, Harden and Paul. Harden like, and Paul. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 so I... For, Paul slipped my mind, but I was more thinking because Harden plays so much on the point. I was trying to think of an off guard, and it'd be Eric Gordon coming off the bench. But Harden, Paul, Harden, Paul. Yeah. So I mean, I, I would go Clay, Clay, Steph, Harden, Paul, yep. Lowry, DeRozan, yep. which is completely fair. 
A shout out to my boy Miritich. Got to be texting Bobby Portis. Look at me now, dude. I thought that Look was. A, I thought that was just a stopgap. Like, a, hey, we lost Boogie. Let's do no, anything again. The de- desperate move to get them into the play. But he's been really good. This podcast would be really good, Josh. My buddy Josh Lewinberg making his way to Washington D.C. He's going to be covering television, radio. Online games three and games four Friday and Sunday. Uh, the last time and, and, and the we, last time that I was in DC was 2015 and things didn't go so no well for kidding. the Raptors. So hopefully they go better this time. Hopefully I'm not bad luck, but I can promise you this: the Raptors are not getting swept. Okay, well, one word answer. They might we be go. on the other end of it. Do the Raptors sweep the Wizards? No. Okay. So that Ra- means we'll be I'll, I'll, back sti- next I'll stick week. with my original, but I'm not. But I still don't think we're going back to Washington after the first trip. I'll stick All with my right. original prediction: Raptors in five. Good stuff. Uh, safe travels, Josh. Hit him up at JLU1050. You can see his content TSN.ca uh, and all over. Canada's sports leader. Our next podcast will come after game number four, so keep your cards and messages coming our way. We always appreciate it. After, after the sweep, Wheels? I you got that, my, we got my prediction. I think they wrap it up in five as well, okay. back here at the ACC. So we'll preview game five then. Exactly. He is Josh Lewinberg. I am Gareth Wheeler. It's always a pleasure bringing you Jurassic Pod.